0: So with that, uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump into scripture, uh, and and we're we're continuing um, in Philippians in in this series, uh, and and this this week we we move a little further um, into Philippians chapter one, verse nineteen through thirty. It reads. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I will, that I still have. Word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Andrew. This has been already a really great series, uh, from the standpoint that it has really spoken to a lot of you, and it's, it's really great to to hear the feedback of what the Spirit of God is doing. I uh, I love it. When I can preach to you, I'm a very common and simple man, but when I can preach to you and very amazing things happen in your life, it's quite obvious that God is at work, okay? Uh, and we do. We give him the glory for that. Uh, but he has been doing some really unique and sort of spectacular things in a number of people's lives in Life Church since the start of this particular series. And uh, that's not to discount anything that God has done prior to this time. But I'm just saying that there is a there is a really unique move of God's Spirit right now in Life Church, uh, and people are really uh, hearing from the Lord. Uh, People are really responding to the challenges that God is placing before them, Um, and people are getting uh, some really renewed excitement about where Life Church is going as we go forward. And uh, so I just want to say that I am so grateful for what God is doing among us as a church family and how he is working not only in us as a church, but how he is also working in in a lot of you in your personal lives uh, through this as well. So it's really cool what God is doing. Let's just pick up then with where we left off uh, last Sunday. Last Sunday was a unique message in the sense of it dealt with an area that we don't always like to look at, and that is the adversities that we go through and how we deal with those adversities. How do we handle them, that sort of thing. And there were basically four takeaways from last Sunday. And the first one was that, When you're in adversity and you're going through things, God can really use that to open a door to the gospel. There's a a great opportunity to be able to share the gospel when you are going through some type of adversity. And the second takeaway we had from last Sunday was that adversity can really encourage a bolder witness. A lot of people, when they're going through adversity and they see God moving and then they begin to grasp that God is in this place, uh, they can be really encouraged to witness and share the gospel in an even, you know, sort of more bold kind of way. Also, adversity can really reveal the, the true heart of a person and we can really begin to know who those are who are In the faith and those who are not in the faith, those who are with us and those who are not really with us. uh, Adversity can do those kind of things. It's kind of proving and kind of trying. And the fourth thing that we talked about last Sunday was that adversity can really prove our ultimate values. In other words, it can really sharpen and strengthen our personal values. What uh, God meant, uh, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Um, and that was that the king was being glorified, the king was being announced, the king was being proclaimed. This Jesus was being preached, this gospel was being shared and spread. And so Paul says, and for that I celebrate, regardless of what the motive is here, I celebrate. And uh, we want to just kind of pick up with that this morning and and kind of start right there, because Paul, when he says that, he says, I will rejoice in that the gospel is, is being preached. That's the the now moment, the real-time confession there. I will rejoice because the gospel is being preached right now. But he goes a little further and ends that verse by saying, yes, and I will rejoice. And that's where we want to pick up this morning. Not just that Paul is rejoicing in the moment and in this current adversity, but Paul is seeing beyond. Paul's perspective is not just in the moment but it is beyond and he says yes i rejoice yes and i will rejoice going forward and and really the sort of the first part of this sort of lesson today that we're going to pick up out of philippians is is that it tells us sort of like paul's thinking here and he is thinking about the reality that there is a possibility for an impending death uh, at the hands of the roman authorities he's not He's not missing the reality that he is in a precarious place. He is in a, a rather difficult place here, and he could die in this prison that he is in, uh, yet he is rejoicing here. So he's writing from this prison, not knowing whether he is going to be released uh, and be able to visit this really beloved congregation, the, the, the Philippians. Um, one would expect him here to feel like that that maybe he's a bit helpless, maybe he would feel like that he's caged in, maybe he would feel like that he's just totally at the mercy of this very corrupt empire, the Roman Empire. Uh, Yet, he is writing here with, with what sounds like and appears to be this very extraordinary sense of freedom. It's like he is not, in his own mindset, a captured man. He is not a man here that is caged up and limited he is not a man here that is in some kind of paralysis emotionally or mentally because of the circumstances and the condition that he is in he is rejoicing in this place and he begins to share some of how he is seeing all of this what is this perspective that he has here from this place in prison that allows him to express himself sort of in a sense of I'm, I'm liberated and I'm free even though I am bound and imprisoned. And he begins to acknowledge here right up front in this passage that, that Andrew read to you that he is very appreciative. He is rejoicing because of the prayers of the philippians and the help of the spirit of christ and he says this with a confession and the confession is my present situation he says it this way will turn out for my deliverance and that's what we want to look at a little bit here this morning He he says, uh, beginning at the very end of verse 18, he says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life. Or by death, And then he gives that, that sort of peak, you know, declaration. For as me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this is a great confession. This is an amazing moment here in this letter. This is like, like a, a hallmark piece of this letter here, if you will. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But here's what I've realized and found out over time. We in the American church have sort of looked at this particular passage and we've sort of interpreted this through a different lens, I think, than the perspective of the Apostle Paul. And we look at this and we go, okay, to live as Christ, that means I just have to suffer through this life. And that's that's how we respond to all of life's circumstances and decisions, you know. And, and, and I, I've seen this in us. I, I, I've, I've watched Christians who come up against adversity in their lives where they have to deal with circumstances and situations that are hard, are challenging, and, and it is difficult. But I see them grow in courage. I see them grow in strength. I see them grow in faith. And, and they, they live joyously. And I say, oh, Look at this person. This person has found this that Paul is talking about here and they're living it out. And then I see other Christians who are not going through adversity and they're not seasoned with difficulties in their lives. They actually have a pretty good life, but they they live with this kind of mindset that, oh, this life is awful and this life is hard and this life is grueling and I'm never going to really enjoy life here, but this is the way it is if you follow Jesus. You just live this way. <laughs> well, that's a really crappy way to live, folks. And, and that is not what Paul is trying to do. He's not saying, okay, you just got to wait till you die, and you're with Jesus, and then everything's going to be great. Because then what you're going to say is, it's not great until I die and I live with Jesus. And so I just need to go. And so all of life is an exit strategy. How do I get out of here? How do I get out of here quicker? All right, just take me, God. You've been there. I've been there. The church has been there. Okay? That's not the way we live. That's not where we land, according to Paul. Life is going to have its difficulties. Life is going to have its tribulations, if you will. But he had life here and now on this earth, and he lived it, I believe, to the fullest, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And that's where I want to take you for a few minutes this morning, because I I believe that, that Paul continuing with the very same joy that he held out in, in, the, in the passage I read to you last Sunday, the previous passage, Paul now is wanting to tell the Philippians about this source of joy. All right? He's starting to break it down for them. And, and, and he starts out by mentioning their prayers and, and, and the help that he sees coming uh, by the way of the Spirit of, of, of Christ. Um, and, and, and he's going into this to, to say that this provides the deliverance that he needs to remain with them. He is not wanting an exit right here, folks. If that's how you read this, that Paul is saying, I just want to get out, you are missing everything that this passage is saying to you. Because that is absolutely the other end of the spectrum from where Paul is living. And so if you get that kind of futile sort of mindset and your perspective is, I just have to put up with mess until Jesus comes or until I die, you are going to live a most miserable and unproductive life in Christ. And so so I want to challenge us here that we look at what Paul is, is actually saying here. And he's saying, hey, I'm believing for my deliverance. Now, he's allowing for that deliverance to go in one of two directions, but he's believing for his deliverance. But he's saying to these people, your prayers are going to make a difference, and the power of the Spirit in my life is going to make a difference. And as these two work together in tandem, I am going to be delivered. And he has much confidence here. Why does he feel this way? Where does he get this confidence from? I believe that he gets this confidence from having his source in Jesus and his focus on Jesus. And that's where we in Western culture can miss it so quickly because we can get our source out of other things and get our eyes focused on different things so very quickly because so much is out there before us. He says it's his very eager expectation. It's his hope that Christ will be honored in his body, no matter whether he lives or whether he dies. And, and this word honored here could, could really be translated magnified or exalted. In other words, I, I want my life to glorify Jesus. I want my life to stand out. I want it to make a difference and at the end of that difference, I want there to be some sort of glorification of Christ, some kind of magnification of Jesus, some kind of exaltation of the Father's Son. I want that to come out of all of this. And we live, because we're trained for for pleasure and we're trained for pain-free lifestyle, we live out of this Oh, I I just want to get through. I just I don't I don't want any problems. I don't want to have anything mess up. I just I just want to ease my way through this life because really I just need to get to the next one. But he has this expectation that everything that he is going through every his life's mission. Get this. His life's mission is simple to magnify Christ. Every second of life he's given. And to do that full of courage and with zero shame. No regrets. And that needs to be an ambition, a goal for you and I. Is that we're going to take the time that we have and we're going to give it towards the glorification of Jesus Christ. Exalting Christ in and through our lives. And we're going to do that in such a way that we are living full of faith, and full of courage, and full of joy, and we're not living out a life filled with regrets and shame. It's amazing how many people come into Pastor Dave and I's office, and and one of the first sort of phrases that tends to come out of someone's heart is, well, I just regret. I just regret. Folks, you don't need to live a life of regret. We can talk about that more further down, so I don't want to go off on that bunny trail this morning, okay? But Paul did not live that kind of life. He did not live a life in regret. Did he make mistakes? Sure. Were there failures in his life? Sure. Were there difficulties along the way? Read about it. My goodness gracious, okay? You can can see that this man went through so much adversity. However, he lived a life looking forward, looking ahead, okay? And, And we talked a little bit about that last Sunday, this idea that we're always focused ahead here, all right? So, He is living this kind of life that is courageous and filled with joy and without shame. But but the question is, why does he say that that dying is gain? How how could he or you or I magnify Christ when we're dead? Well, let's look at it in verse 22. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, I continue to work here. Yet... Which shall I choose? I, I, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So I would never ask you to deny that that would be in your heart. I'm just saying that's not the way we live. All right. And we don't let that skew our perspective so we have a wrong perspective about the now. Okay. But, but all of us should long to be with Christ. That would be better. But to remain in the flesh, he says, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you. He's got this great confidence about this. For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I, I love the way Paul writes here in Philippians um it it's it's just really really uh, exciting to me so I I I really get a lot out out of this um and and here's what what I I I, I want to just say this and, and kind of preface everything else I'm going to say now on this I think that Paul had a great desire and a great love for the church at Philippi. But I think he had that for Ephesus. I think he had that for Corinth. I think he had such great love for these churches that were being planted because he saw that these are the people who are going to, to share the gospel. These are the people that are going to build the kingdom of God. These are the people that God has called and he saved and he loves them and he gave his, his heart and life to them through his son Jesus Christ. So this, is a, this, this, is, this love that Paul has is so powerful and And I the Queen of England, Queen Mary of England, she was very upset in the day because the French captured the port of calais um, and and because of that that devastated her, and the reason it did is she had such a love for this port city and here's what she said when uh, the the port city of calais was was captured uh, by the french she she said. When I die. Alright? And you came in. She's a queen of England now. And she's talking to, to the the people there. She goes, When I die. She was not on her deathbed by any means. She had years to, to live beyond that. When I die, you will find Calais etched on my heart. That's a powerful statement. Paul had this kind of love for the church. Paul loved the church. He didn't see the church bad, though he had to deal with many issues within the church. And he addressed them as they came up. He didn't see the church as ineffective, he saw the vast opportunity for the church to grow and and to move forward. He didn't see the people in the church uh, in any way less than the value that God had placed on them by giving his son to die for them. This is the way Paul lived. And even though we sort of extract all kinds of things and say look how bad the church was here and look look there's turmoil in the church at philippi and there's sexual sin in the church, church at corinth and there's this and there's that and we're always looking at what's going on and how things went with the church and and that's good we learn from all of that but paul has this sense that this is the beloved this is this amazing church that god has given his son for and and Jesus died for this church, and so in his heart, there's this sense, this, this etching, if you will, of his love for the church. And, and I believe that, that Paul's conclusion is, is that he's going to remain because God values this church, and God can, there's work for him to do. There's something that needs to continue to happen here. And so he wants to continue with the church at Philippi for their progress, for their joy in the faith, for their strengthening, for them to be encouraged, for them to grow and spread out and and send others out and share the gospel. Although we know that he can honor Jesus through this very fruitful labor by helping the Philippians know Jesus better Um, how does he do this in death he can't help them when he's dead so at first glance it 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 seems really counterintuitive right for him to to say something like this but but the key in this conflict he mentions uh, is this he can't he can't choose between life and death because there's value in both it's not like one has no value and the other has all the value. There's, there's value in both. In life, here's what's going to happen. He is going to magnify Jesus Christ with every breath and with every word. And that's his only goal, folks. Paul is going to make Jesus known regardless of what happens around him. In death, however, Paul says that he will actually be with Christ. And if he's completely honest, that's his ultimate desire. So, what, what you need to understand here is that Paul is so in love with Jesus that he sees death as far better than anything the world could, could possibly offer because in death, he would actually be with Christ. And that would be amazing. But here's what I want you to understand. He loves Jesus the same way living in this life as he would if he died and was with Jesus. And here's the thing that I want to bring home to you. Paul considered all these, these pleasures and these joys of this present life, everything good, everything beautiful that we could experience in this world uh, um, that would be gone once he died. He would give it up in a heartbeat if it meant that he could be with Jesus. He'd give it up. Jesus is worth so much more. His, his Love is so evident for Jesus. And he would lay this whole world down. I've heard it said of many Christians, especially Christians in Western culture who have a lot of stuff, that Christians in America, they go to the grave kicking and screaming, holding on to their stuff. And, and, and Paul had, had, he had, he had, so much that he had accomplished. and he, he, could, he could sort of stand on his own laurels, so to speak. And he could have gone a different path. But he followed this Jesus who brought light and revelation to him and took away his literal blindness and his spiritual blindness and called him to establish this early church. And Paul calls all of them, he considers all of these pleasures and these joys of this present life, everything, as to being of no value. And again, we're going to talk more about some of these things as we get further into the book of Philippians. But he would give it up. Why? Because to Paul, the joy found in this life is brief and frail. It's like a shadow compared to the substance and the reality of being with Jesus. Remember, Paul, I mean, go back and read about it. Paul was a zealous Jew. He had, he had a lot and had done a lot. But whatever he had gained, he tells us further over in Philippians, he counts as not only a loss or an absence to him, now, but he actually refers to it as dung. And what he's saying is, not only do I, like, take the value away from it, but I actually, I abhor it now. It's of no value to me. It's be, I, I wouldn't want it now. I would actually despise it now in a sense. Okay? And so, a life like like this, a life that is shaped by this sort of seemingly invincible kind of joy that Paul has here. All right? He is so filled with joy here that it carries him through these adversities and these difficulties. All right? For Paul... Death was the exchange of everything in this life for Jesus. And he can call that a great gain. But here's where he lands. He lands in this reality that he needs to live a life here now. And and he needs to be able to say yes to that. Because by faith he is believing that through the prayers and the power of the Spirit, God is going to keep him here so that this great church can continue to be equipped and to grow and to expand throughout the earth. And so then in verse 27, he begins to talk to them and, and break this down a little bit more. And he says, do this, let your manner of life, in other words, what you value and what you hold to and the decisions that you make and the way that, that you are, are looking at life and at, at the future and all of that, It says, let let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. And get this, this is where I love this because this is a message to the whole of the church at Philippi. This is not just for individuals, but this is is corporate here, okay? I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. That you are with one mind striving. Notice what he says. Side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you. That for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him. Get this. We're back at it again. But also suffer. For his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Now, he has put his life's purpose on the table, folks. Paul is commending the Philippians to follow him. He's saying, I want you to do what I do, all right? So he says, no matter what happens to me, this is what you do. United in spirit, all right? united in spirit united in mind for the faith of the gospel paul's saying one day i will die now i think what he's saying here is one day i will die but my friend this is not that day remembering the lord of the rings the commander they're facing this absolutely horrific adversary of evil and all the horses are lined up and all the warriors are on their horses. And they're standing there and you can smell fear. And he gets down and he walks before them and he's looking at them as he's walking before them. And he says, there is a day when men's hearts will fail for fear. But this is not that day. We will fight. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. There is, there is a time when men's hearts will fail for fear. And in the world that will happen. But this is not that day, and this is not that kind of church. This is the church that is going to be filled with courage and filled with rejoicing because of this Jesus. So this is not the day for you to fail. This is not the day for you to fear. This is not the day for you to shrink back and throw away your confidence. But this is the day, he says, to be confident and to rejoice in this Jesus. And so he's laying it all out there on the table. And he knows that he is going to die. But this is not the day. He believes fully that he will be delivered unto them. Into their presence to work with them and and to co-labor with them. He's seeing himself much as one of these who is and will be in spirit with them. And be side by side with them. And will continue to do the work of the gospel so he's drawing out here for them what it means to magnify Christ, what it means to live a life that is worthy of, a, of the gospel, a life that is defined by this, this amazing sort of joy that just just carries him, just keeps him going. And I, and I think the context here for the Philippians is, is that the conflict that Paul has experienced here reminds them of other times when there has been sort of the same kinds of things that have gone on way back in acts acts chapter 16 uh talks about the the little girl and she was uh sort of a a fortune teller storyteller kind of girl and they stopped that gift in her They, they put it out and uh and so the, the men who were using her to make money, they went and, and they talked to the, the leaders. And so uh, the, the disciples were put in prison as a result of that. And they were, they were tortured, if you will. All right, These were not uncommon places. So when Paul says, I'm in chains now, but, I, but I'm coming to you. What they remember is that in the dark of the night, the angel of the Lord, the Spirit of God, comes. And opens the door. And loosens the chains. And Paul walks out. And the jailer himself. Becomes repentant. And his whole family. And they're saved. These are the kind of. Things that are going on in the hearts of these people. And Paul is reminding them of these places, I think, in in what he's trying to say to them. There is a hope here. We rejoice. We hold on. Your prayers and God's Spirit moves. And as it does, the church grows and the church expands. I'm not afraid here. I'm not downcast. I'm not losing my confidence here. I'm not throwing away my faith here. I'm living in this place, understanding that God is moving and he is doing things in the midst of the adversity that I am going through. And I believe that he's saying to them, this only happens when you fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what he's saying to them. This is because of Christ. This is because of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And and, and it can only be found in knowing Jesus Christ why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 verse 2 says fix your eyes on Jesus he is the author he is the finisher and then he wrote the first word and he writes the end our first sermon in this series we said this is kind of the hallmark of this whole series the work that God has, be done, has begun in you he will be faithful to bring it to completion alright so that's where we land here alright Matter of fact, a little further up in Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, fix your thoughts. In other words, position your perspective. Get your, get your eyes and your thoughts fixed. Get them in perspective. The psalmist David wrote the same thing in Psalm 141. He says, my eyes are fixed on you, O Lord. And that's where we land. That's where we live. That's where our response needs to be. And so the question has to become, as we close out here, what, what is Jesus to you? Is Jesus everything to you? If, if, let me ask it to you this way: if you lost everything in this life today, would you count it gain? If you, if, if, if you lost family, if you lost job, if you lost home, it's a very challenging thought for us. For many of us, that probably doesn't feel like the case. But, but Paul doesn't leave us without, um, he doesn't leave us without a real. Hope here. He he's telling his friends here in Philippi. He's he's saying, I want your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel. What is he really meaning when he says that, when he's calling us to that kind of place? What is worthy of the gospel? Well, first of all, I want you to reject that notion or that, that, that this, this term worthy that's used here means that we're able to somehow earn the benefit of the gospel because you are not. It is a free gospel. You will never be able to buy it, earn it, barter for it, trade for it, get it any other way than this is a free gift that you accept by faith through Christ, okay? So that is not what Paul is trying to say here, okay? What he's, to be worthy of the gospel means that we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ and, and that we are to be a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship changes. We don't earn this. Jesus already has earned it for us. He, is, he has bought it for us. He's made us his own. And you can see this. If you'll study this book of Philippians out, you can see all of these things that I'm saying to you through there. The most important thing I want to kind of leave with you today is that the most important thing in this world that you and I are living in is that we see this amazing, reckless love of Jesus. And that we need to be stunned and captivated by that every single day of our lives. And that we awaken to that absolute amazement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we go to bed with it at night. Paul honestly has a very radical fixation on Jesus. And he's saying you can't trade down to something that's less. And so when he says that he magnifies Christ, it's because he sees Jesus, how he ought to be seen. And that sight is just breathtaking to Paul. And I would ask you, what in this day takes your breath away? What captures you? What captivates you? What takes your time? What takes your money? What takes your energy? And if Jesus is not at the top, then the bottom line is you do not understand this reckless love of Jesus Christ that is the wellspring of this amazing joy. Let me give you just a few takeaways here and we'll be done. This is what I want you to get today, all right? He, Paul. Paul gets his confidence from the source and the focus of his joy, and that is Jesus. That must be your source. That must be your focus, if you will. Paul makes this reference to a different church earlier on in the Scriptures, and he says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. He talks about them and he says there is a severe test of your affliction but that test brings about an abundance. What is that abundance? It is a joy overflowing. A joy overflowing. Folks, you will go through trials. You will go through troubles. You will go through tribulations. Please understand I am teaching you a positive message. Alright? I am declaring in a positive way the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that God will prosper you. He will bless you in whatever way he deems appropriate and right and good. I'm not dismissing any aspect of God. He is a great God. He will pour into your life. He will give to you. He will bless you. He will protect you. He will heal you. He will honor you. He will esteem you. He will love you. My goodness, you're written on the palm of his hand. It doesn't get any better than that. But I'm going to tell you something. In this life, you will have trials and tribulations there will be difficulties that will come your way and the mark of your life is not the day you stand up and say everything is going so great for me and i'm written in the palm of god's hand and i'm special and elect no it's going to be when you stand and give that testimony that says though hell broke in on me and tried to drown me out i was able to rise above that And live a life that is in Christ alone and nothing else. He is my only source. He is my only strength. He will be my only focus. I will fix my eyes on him. And I will live to him to the day I see him come or I come to him, whichever it may be. And one is no better than the other in the sovereignty of God. Because while I am here, he will use me for his glory. And when I am gone, I will be with him. And when I see him, I will be like him. Amen. Amen. That is is where God wants you and I to land. Another takeaway from today, please. Our actions are shaped by our affections. Our actions are shaped by our affections. Am I simply satisfied with chasing lesser joys or am I willing to hold out for Jesus? Am I willing to believe and live as though Jesus is my ultimate, best, and supreme answer to every situation and circumstance in my life? Or am I willing to take a shortcut and try to get something that is lesser and less noble? There's a lot of good choices, but what is the best choice? And that is that we live under this auspice, if you will, of Christ. What, what are the, the really practical ways you and I can do this? Make a list, all right? Talk about it. Pray into it. I think you need to live for Christ in a strategic way that helps you to stay on course and helps you to keep your eye fixed on Jesus. And here's the last takeaway I'll give you and then we'll close. Focusing on this sort of reckless love for us, and doing that in the sense of understanding the pain that he endured for us on the cross that is where we anchor our soul you don't you don't anchor yourself in this world and you don't anchor yourself in the political scheme of things and you don't anchor yourself in your income you don't anchor yourself in the financial stability of a nation. You don't anchor yourself in the nation that you have been privileged to live in. You don't anchor yourself in the people right around you in your circle of life. You don't anchor yourself in promises that are out there that the world would offer you. You don't anchor yourself in an identity that the world tells you is yours. You anchor yourself in Jesus and the joy that he brings in a life filled with faithful obedience to him the joy of the Lord is your strength so fix your eyes on Jesus one story and then we're done I've told this story before over the years and you may have heard it somewhere else as well but bear with me this morning little boy He's on a ship. They sail out of the harbor in the south of England, and they're crossing the channel, and they're headed for France. He's sitting on a table inside this little, little ship. There are a number of people in there, a dozen or so. The reason they're there is because they all bought a ticket. They want to cross the channel. It's something that happens all the time. All through the day, ships are going out, and ships are coming in. The harbor's big. Only this ship gets out into the channel, only to have a sudden gale rise up. And the ship is being tossed and battered. It's a very small little ship. It has a captain and a first hand. That's all. And they're out at the wheel, and they're trying to manage this ship, and they're trying to get it through this humongous storm and it is being battered, and the people inside are being knocked around, and things are sliding about, and this little boy is sitting on this table in the middle of this room, and he has his hands on the table. He's sitting there, and he's holding tightly, and there's a businessman holding a briefcase, and he is being tossed about, and he keeps looking at this little boy, and this little boy is as calm as a cucumber, and it's making him angry. He is getting mad because he is afraid. He is disturbed that he is going to lose his life. He is afraid of drowning in the channel waters. He has heard stories of years past. And he is very much concerned about his life. And this little boy sits there so calm. And this happens for some time. And they're battering this storm. And this ship is being tossed. And everything is flying around now. And he can't take it anymore. And he screams at this little boy. And he says... What are you doing? What is wrong with you? Don't you understand? We could all die. And the little boy says, Yes, sir. Well, how can you stand there or sit there? How can you sit there like that and not be afraid? And he goes, because I'm looking out the, the little porthole in the door. And he goes, What? Are you stupid? And he goes, no, but that's my dad who's the captain of this boat. And as long as my eye is on him, I'm not going to be afraid. Because no matter what happens, if I can see him, I'll be all right. And that's my older brother next to him that's helping him try to steer this ship. I'm going to be all right. Because I'm going to look at them. And this is what I want you to understand. You fix your eyes on your Heavenly Father. You are redeemed by His Son. And regardless of the storm of your life, you can live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Kayla, come and share the gospel with us.
2: like Paul, we can find our hope in this Jesus, not in death, not in avoiding the things that are hard in this world, but in this God who has met us in the middle of our pain and suffering, in this God who has made promises and is faithful to keep his promises. And so we know this God who created his world, and as people turned away from him into sin, he continued to pursue them, continued to seek to redeem his people. And we see that in Jesus coming in a human body to earth, um, being willing to take up the human life, being willing to suffer alongside people, being willing to live a perfect life, to face death on the cross and to rise from the dead, to be a God who is a God of life, which is why our hope is not found in death. Our hope is found in his life, and the way that he invites us to participate in that. Our hope, our confident expectation, is that Jesus will return, that he will set the world right, that he will recreate everything, and that he will redeem us from these hard things, that death will no longer exist, and that life will be good, and that we will know God and worship God and be in right relationship with one another for eternity. And that is good news for us today, whether we're suffering, whether our lives look decent, whether we're realizing that we're putting all of our hope in things that can't fulfill any of the promises we expect them to, that we are invited into this place of putting our hope solely in this God who meets us in whatever we're facing and is faithful to redeem us and keep his promises. And so as I close this in prayer, I'll invite the prayer team to come up. If you just find yourself in a place where you need to be reminded of hope, where you need to have somebody pray for you in the middle of your pain and suffering, if you want to know more about this God who is that good, um, I invite you to come up and pray with the prayer team after I'm done, and everyone else um, can be dismissed quietly. God, we thank you that you are a good God, that you are a good Father who meets us in all things. We thank you, Jesus, for the way that you have taken on this hard life and the way that you have conquered death. We thank you that you are alive and that you are returning. Um, And we ask that you would help us to trust in you as we wait for you to return, that we would wait patiently and confidently for you to fulfill the promises that you have made to us, um, that we would put all of our hope in you, and you alone, and that you would continue to remind us of your goodness as we face whatever is in front of us. Um, God, we are thankful for who you are, and we ask that you would continue to reveal more of yourself to us, Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, um, knowing that you are good, and we thank you for who you are and the way that you love us. Um, and we ask that you would continue to work in us, Holy Spirit, until Christ returns. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.